0: Welcome to DLSN, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods and Seven Mile Advisors. DLSN promotes the advancement of women in private equity and finance through conversations with women leaders and rising stars in the private equity and finance space. These conversations provide both insights and practical takeaways to inform your deal work and enhance the culture of your organization. If you're ready to drive the industry toward a more inclusive and diverse environment, then it's time to come to the table.
1: And Welcome back to another episode of DLSN. I'll be your host today, Ariel Barker, and I'm joined by Molly White, Business Development and Marketing Manager at Main Street Capital. Molly, thanks for joining us and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, before we get started, I will warn you, today's conversation is between two women who are nine months pregnant. So please excuse us if we say anything that doesn't make sense or if our thoughts evade us a little bit. And I think that'll probably give you a hint into what today's topic is about. Today, we're discussing maternity leave and our personal experiences navigating it pre-baby. As women in business, for many of us who choose to start a family, the realities of navigating a maternity leave are something we will have to face at one point or another. So we hope this conversation sheds some light on the fact that for many women in finance, the accessibility to maternity policies and the flexibility offered to working mothers is really better than it ever has been in our industry. So without further ado, I'll pass it over to Molly. Let her set the stage by introducing herself and then talking a little bit about her background um, as well as her current role.
2: Well, thanks for that. And I certainly appreciate the disclaimer on looking nice pregnant to start. I think that this is a great topic and something that that I know that there weren't a ton of people in my world that I could turn to for advice when my husband and I started down this path. So I'm excited to be a part of this today. I've been with Main Street Capital Corporation, which is a business development company located in Houston, Texas, that engages both in more traditional private equity investing, as well as direct lending for a little more than two years. As you said, I joined as the manager of business development and marketing and what that entails at Main Street is it's a largely strategic role. And so I work with all of our deal guys as well as our senior leadership team to ensure that our approach to business development and marketing is working. And we're sort of also starting down the path of how do you layer in data analytics and a more refined strategy to make sure that we're getting you know the most out of our approach. So that's largely what I focus on at Main Street.
1: Perfect. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting. And what really made me want to have this conversation with you is because we're basically counterparts doing very similar roles just on opposite sides of the table. Obviously, you on the private equity side, me on the investment banking side, you working for a larger public company, me working for a smaller boutique. So I think we'll really be able to kind of give people two slightly different viewpoints, but with that same kind of positive message in mind about what we're seeing from our roles. So I'll start things off with a pretty obvious question. I think many people still perceive finance and especially private equity and investment banking as a quote unquote boys club. And I think, you know, you go to a lot of conferences and you hear these conversations about the lack of maternity policies across the industry and lack of flexibility. So I'd be interested to hear personally, if your firm had a set maternity policy in place and kind of what your experience with the receptiveness of your colleagues was just because I feel like that conversation is starting to change a bit. Absolutely. And you know, I, I think that it is
2: really starting to change. And in some parts, that's due to the industry. And in some parts, that's due to the fact that all shifts are carried by rising tides. And so I think, you know, across the U.S., we're seeing corporate policies change and shift to be a little bit more accommodating and, and maternity leave friendly. And I think that it is affecting finance, which in the past has certainly been a little bit behind. As a public company though, Main Street has had a maternity leave policy in place for many years. And I think that this very much laid the groundwork for an expectation there that maternity leave is a given and that when they have women working for them, that's gonna be a part of, you know, what they are working around, or that if they have women, you know, working for them who do want to start families, that they're gonna be willing to accommodate that. And so I think the fact that Main Street is a public company and has had a maternity leave policy in place as a result of that for many years has laid the groundwork for an expectation that maternity leave is, is a given and is something that they're going to provide to their employees. I think the less familiar dynamic to my leave with my team is that I, I lead a small team. And so the amount of prep work going into maternity leave has been very different. You know, we've had to plan 12 weeks of projects. And getting those focal points and some of the finer, finer details signed off on by, you know, my superiors and some of the teams that we collaborate with so that we're prepared. Because in the past, the majority of the women who have taken maternity leave at Main Street have been in, you know, back office or administrative roles. And so it's a little bit different for me taking it because although we are a public company, we're a small one with about 70 employees.
1: Yep. And I think the interesting thing is, a lot of people see that there's obviously more opportunity and more formally set maternity policies for public companies or for larger banks. But I would add, just because personally, you know, I work for an 18 person smaller firm, I've seen the same amount of flexibility within the smaller firm. So I say that just to encourage people that you don't have to work for a larger company to have these opportunities. Something we had talked about when we were kind of prepping for this conversation was just being aware of what the opportunities are, no matter the size of the company, if you see your child rearing years ahead of you. So I know, obviously, when I joined Seven Mile, I was earlier in my 20s. And you know I wasn't even engaged, let alone married. Kids really mm-hmm. kind of weren't on the horizon. But I did see when I was interviewing that the opportunity to maintain my career with that firm was there because there were other women in the firm that had taken maternity that had children that were offered a lot of flexibility. So that path I knew was available. So the way that our maternity policy works is a little bit different. It's a little more choose your own adventure, for lack of a better word. And so, for me, it was more of an open ended conversation with the partners of what's going to work best for both of us. What's going to give me the flexibility to take care of my priorities at home? And what's going to be sure that you guys are completely covered at the office? So, for me, it's looking a little bit more like a hybrid taking a firm six weeks off and then doing another six weeks where I'm kind of accessible but not in the office. But all in all, I'll be out of the office a full 18 weeks and our office actually is back open during the COVID pandemic. So for me, having having that flexibility, I think it just says a lot about the open-mindedness of some of these smaller firms that are still very male heavy. There's not that many women Mm -hmm. who work at our firm. I think we have, you know, probably a higher percentage than other investment banks, which is kind of crazy. I think we have four women out of 18 currently. But I just think it's important to be sure that you know what those options are kind of as you're planning your career because it's going to be a lot harder to make the change once you've decided to have children. So as much as you know, if you're 25, it might not be something that you're you're putting on the, you know, not necessarily the negotiating table, but when you're looking through where your next career move is going to be. But I think for both of us, the point that we made was, Being sure that you're not putting yourself into a situation where you wouldn't have those opportunities. Absolutely. And I think it's really important during the interview
2: process that even if you're not at a phase in your life where you're going to immediately be dealing with whatever that company's maternity leave policy or how that planning goes into effect, and you might be years away from that or you're not sure, getting a sense of how flexible your future employer is 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 important. And so At Main Street with a public company, there's, you know, you can take up to 12 weeks. You can then go into the, you know, the more government regulated FMLA type leave, but their guaranteed leave is 12 weeks and that's the policy. Now, granted, in a post-COVID world, we'll see what that actually looks like for me after 12 weeks. But I think, you know, there's there's not a ton of flexibility to that, and that's okay because they were very upfront about what their policies were. But when you're in those early conversations with your employer, if you're going to be the type of person who's looking for flexibility, it's, you know, or is this going to work for me? It's a couple of different things. It's finding out if they have a policy in place. It's looking exactly, as you said, to see if there are women who are employed by that firm who have chosen to have families and, you know, you can even start to test the waters if you're not really comfortable talking about maternity leave if you're, if you're younger and marriage isn't on your immediate horizon. But if, you know, if you want to push on salary negotiation or vacation negotiation, and that'll give you at least a window into how flexible or how willing to work with you some of these employers can be.
1: Yes, Absolutely. And so I don't want to derail us here, but I do think it's important to comment, obviously, about kind of the other side of maternity leave in our industry is paternity leave. And I think there's still kind of a different set of expectations between men and women. Is that something that you've seen in your firm? I know for us, I have a couple male counterparts that are having children around the same time. And it is, unfortunately, a little bit of different expectations between how much will be out of the office.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think obviously there are at a, many firms, those numbers are not the same. So if maternity is 12, that does not mean that paternity is 12. And I think that what you are seeing is, again, in this kind of rising tide world of making sure that family leave is appropriately accommodating for the employees, you'll see some employers that are actually hesitant to extend maternity leave policies out beyond what they might have been because they feel like then they'd have to do the same on the paternity leave side of things. So that is kind of this interesting dynamic that I think we're seeing in corporate America today. You know, at Main Street, there isn't a paternity leave policy. You have the option to take vacation days or you have the option to to take up, you know, FMLA. But it's you know it's a small firm and on the deal team side, while we might be 70 from the public company, the investment team itself is between 30 and 35 at any given time. You know, and so it's a pretty close knit team. And so when one of my colleagues has had a child on the paternity leave side, you know they they've worked with their superiors to make sure that they get the right amount of time off and the right amount home with their wives and their their young children. So you know, I think I think it'll be interesting to continue to see it evolve in finance. It's definitely lagging the the structure that we're seeing around maternity leave.
1: Yeah, and I think paternity leave, maybe even more so than maternity leave, is really going to have to be a top down change because you look at a lot of these firms that have men in leadership and ownership roles that you know it wasn't standard for them to take paternity leave, and so I think there's just kind of a misconception or a misalignment with their expectations with some team members, just because they saw that they were able to make it work without taking time off potentially when they had children. So they know that, you know, maybe their their small team, like you were saying, on our deal team side were 10 senior bankers. So there's not a lot of other people to pull that weight. So I think mm-hmm. when we see those changes, it's definitely going to have to be from top-down and management and owners really encouraging people to, if they want to, take that time away. And I I caveat this whole conversation with, you know, everybody's work-life balance looks different. For some people, taking paternity leave is not something that they're interested in. I think more so our thoughts on this has just been giving people the opportunity, but not to say that there's anything wrong if you didn't take a maternity leave or if taking paternity leave wasn't the right step for you. So we kind of mentioned Absolutely. a little bit earlier when you were talking about the general maternity leave policy that you were working with. And that's really the logistics. Taking 12 weeks away from the office, even having the opportunity to do that, it does create some logistical elements or nightmares, for lack of a better word, Especially when you manage a team like you and I do, so kind of thinking that through of who's your team going to report to, how are they going to handle approvals, how are they going to prioritize and report, et cetera, how have you kind of tackled preparing your team so that they're able to run smoothly without you there? I think it's it's a little bit of a moving
2: target, and you know one of the the most fun things I joke about about pregnancy is that while I have a due date, I really have no idea if that's the date that I am no longer in the office. You know, so as kind of time goes by, we've developed a sketch of an outline and then it kind of continues to get more refined the closer and closer we get. And so if I ended up being out, you know, tomorrow at 37 weeks, then they would be ready, but they might not be as ready as if we made it all the way to 40 because a lot can change in three weeks but we've developed a fully fleshed out plan which kind of included laying out when any virtual marketing events might be taking place this fall and considering, you know, who would be participating, who would be some of the support, if those attendee lists are weak, how would we approach, you know, either not participating or potentially putting together our own slate of calls, additional project planning outside of just, you know, conference coordination and attendance to keep the team occupied and productive over a 12-week period. And then also making sure that we're being cognizant of the types of tasks and, and smaller projects that get piled on on a regular basis. And, you know, and then lastly, what's likely to slide as a result. And so really what we did is we kind of, you know, we tried to have a bunch of different contingency plans. So, you know, if this pops up while Molly's away, how do we handle it? You know, and, and that, And then now, kind of as I move into the last few weeks here, we're beginning to do test runs on on what weekly updates to other teams or kind of to my boss looks like for my team and how can they respond to certain inbound requests that, you know, externally or internally. And then one thing, you know, that I've offered up to my team, and I think this is the right move for me and my group that I work with, but again, you know, we talked about earlier, the right solution doesn't necessarily look the same for everyone is that there's no moratorium on contacting me just because I'm on maternity leave. And so if there's something going on that they need support on, or even just advice on how to navigate, you know, a certain situation, I'm a phone call or a text away at any point in time. And again, that approach isn't going to work for everyone, but it does give the group that I work with a little bit of comfort that, you know, I'm not just going to go away and be completely MIA for 12 weeks if they really need me because I think that's the reality of working on a small team. Some of these, you know, larger corporations have a little bit more flexibility where other people can kind of come in and support on on the role, but the reality is, you know, I'm asking the women that are working with me to step up a little bit and I'm also asking, you know, my superior to come down and cover a little bit of what I do. And so, I think it has to be again, for me, a little bit of a give and take.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I've kind of been the same way with my team of, I live a mile from the office. I always have my phone on me. I doubt that's going to change unless I'm asleep. (laughs) So I think, (laughs) like you said, just that comfort level of I'm not disappearing. If you need me, call and pick up the phone. Because I think with smaller teams, you get kind of set into roles and expectations and Like you were saying, you're encouraging your team to step up, and I'm kind of expecting the same thing from my team. But I know from having been on the other side of that and more of a support role and less of a leadership role, sometimes it's really hard to feel empowered to make some Mm -hmm. of the decisions. Um, You still just need that support of someone saying, okay, yes, you can do this, or yes, you can move forward with this. And so I think kind of keeping those lines of communication, like you said, is a happy medium between being able to step away, but also not leaving your team to where they're, they're not feeling supported. Because I think for me, that's my biggest fear is anyone feeling like I'm letting them down or leaving them in a situation where they can't do their job to their full capacity because of some kind of pre-planning or preparation that I didn't put in place.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing is, is that, you know, if you have a team that you're happy with and and a group that you're really proud of, you want them to succeed even while you're not there. And so, you know, I'm invested in the careers of these two women that I collaborate with. And I want to make sure that even while I'm not there to continue to be their, you know, their daily sounding board, that they're set up to succeed over this 12-week period so that our coworkers have hopefully an even better impression of them, you know, at the end of the fall than they might right now, because I really think that they're both kind of rock stars. So I'm excited for the opportunity that they're going to have. But that also means that I have to make sure that the three of us are working really well in advance of me taking the time away to make sure that they're set up for that.
1: Yeah. And I think another kind of important element to that is it's pretty obvious that you need to manage down and prep down in situations like this. But I think it's also important, you kind of touched on this as well, is that ability to manage up in preparation for this time away as well, because you don't want to put additional stress on you know, the partners of the firm or in your case, I'm not sure exactly like who kind of this team will transition to reporting to. But you don't want to feel like you're putting additional stress on them. So I think that's mm-hmm. been a big piece for me, is clearly communicating the expectations to one of the partners who's going to be kind of their general oversight while I'm gone, and being sure that he knows, okay, these are the things that I would like you to check in with them on. These are the things I'll need you to approve, etc. Because I don't want it to feel like I've just thrown anything over the fence. And disappeared. You know, you obviously want to make everything as seamless so that you can step away and then be able to step back in and know that your team didn't lose, you know, productivity during that time. But I think, you Absolutely. know, planning right now kind of has an interesting aspect just during the COVID pandemic because you're not getting that team face time. You know, it's a little bit different set of circumstances. And even in terms of what you're planning, like I know we are obviously doing a lot of uh, event planning, either for in-house events or events that we're attending. And the world just looks very different in terms of marketing and BD right now. So I'd be interested to hear kind of how has the whole COVID pandemic impacted how you're kind of preparing and getting these plans together? Yeah, no, I,
2: I mean, honestly, I think arguably it's made it a little bit easier. I've been working from home since, since mid-March when, when we closed our, our office down initially. And while it's reopened now, our HR department you know, has discouraged pregnant women from coming in unless they feel like that's the absolute best way to get their job done. And I'm, I'm fortunate that I've got a great setup at home. So I've already been home for five months. And so as a result, the role of weekly planning has really increased as a result of the decreased level of, of face time. And I think that that's begun to ease the transition because in order to make my boss comfortable, I I roll up to our our chief investment officer and and president. And so in order to kind of ensure him that we're continuing to be productive and move things forward, we're on the phone with him regularly and arguably connecting with him more than we did pre-coronavirus in order to kind of make sure that he's on the same page with us as to what's getting done, what's coming up next, what do we need to be checking in with various members and senior leadership for? You know, but I think even though I haven't been there for five months and, you know, in, in a month I'm talking about officially being on maternity leave, it, it, my response to that dynamic has certainly not been to rush leave or cut it short. And, you know, I think that because we've pursued additional check-ins with other folks internally throughout this process, you know, and throughout the last five months, I think that's also going to be the case upon reentry. And so, regardless of what the world looks like, you know, and in the most ideal situation, <laughs> I think we'd all agree that everyone would be, you know, definitely between now and November, you know, safely returning to work. But right now, that's that's up in the air. And so, I think that it has kind of opened up also the opportunity to have a more flexible reentry because you have to make sure that you're doing the right thing not only just by your work-life balance, but also with the, you know, the health of your family. And so, so I think that that's kind of the interesting internal dynamic to it. From the externally facing perspective of my role, I would argue it's almost made the timing better. I mean, feel free to contradict me here, but the, all the conversations I'm having are indicating that most folks are hesitant to be out physically marketing in this environment. And while the virtual conferences are a great alternative, We're finding that in in many markets, the right call is for relationship managers to be reaching out on a one off basis and having, you know, catch up calls and checking in as opposed to getting on the virtual conferences with the same group of people on a regular basis when, you know, not a ton is changing while we're all in this wait and see mode. So I think in that sense the timing is working surprisingly well.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think it's just kind of a shift in thinking right now. I know for me, in terms of the higher touch, kind of like you were saying, in terms of relationship management, I think will make it a little bit tougher for me to step away just because I have to get other people up to speed in terms of having some of those conversations. And obviously, it's a little bit more difficult to kind of manage what's going on when it's a less formal BD type scenarios. But I would agree that it's definitely kind of given given a lot of flexibility because there's not a lot of rush back to an event or try to, you know, sneak events in before going out on maternity leave. So I think it's given a lot of time to actually be in the office and be able to put these plans in place. Whereas before, you know, I was planning on trying to get as much travel in as I possibly could. I'm sure mm-hmm. you're the same way before being out. So, hitting the ACG event circuits and kind of all of the speed dating events to be sure I had had all those touch points before being away for a few months. And with that not being expected or me being able to do it all virtually, it has given me more time to actually sit down and put these plans in place. I know you were kind of making the point of, having more structured check-ins. I've, I've already put that in place on my side. And I feel like it's kind of made me be not a better leader, but probably a more structured manager to my team. Just because I've put a weekly meeting for Monday mornings in place where I have the person who they're going to be reporting to while I'm out and my whole team on there. And we run through a very set agenda, look at certain reports in Salesforce, talk through prioritization for the week, Whereas before I kind of touch base with them one on one more frequently, but I didn't have as much of a structure of like, let's kick the week off, let's all get on the same page. And I think, you know, I'm seeing from having this meeting that it's making them feel more like a team and less siloed. And it's also giving me a lot more visibility into what they're working on and being sure that they're aligned with my priorities, I'm aligned with their priorities. And it's also giving a lot more visibility to the partner they're reporting to. Whereas before, he Mm -hmm. would just kind of trust me that things were moving along. Now he's able to actually engage in those conversations. And if he has input, which a lot of times because of his experience, he's able to add a lot of value, especially Mm -hmm. to my new team member. So I would kind of pose the question to you. Do you feel like having to kind of put pen to paper and put a few of these processes in place has made you more of an effective leader? Or do you think it's kind of changed your management style at all?
2: You know, I'm not sure that it's really changed. And I, I've always been a planner. And, and that's that's been the way that I approach, you know, my job when I haven't been leading a team. And now, now that I do lead a team, that's very much what I bring to it. And so my team was having weekly meetings pre-COVID-19, where we'd kind of gather up on Monday mornings and you know and do all the things that you'd expect of a Monday morning meeting and that format works really well for us because we kind of have our hands in a number of different areas and so kind of as far as staying organized and ahead of things that was the approach we took what we have seen is that we are doing more check-ins with the senior leadership team member that I report to And he's a little bit more engaged on what we're doing. And I think in a pre coronavirus world, you know, he was going to on the road, going to management meetings, board meetings, public company responsibilities. You know, he was just always on the go. And now that he's a little bit more stationary, we've got more, you know, time and access to him, which has been great because it's allowed us to move certain projects that we thought you know, we're going to be on the back burner forward much faster with his input. And that type of advantages has has come with this increased level of check-in. And I also think it's prepared him and my team to continue checking these kind of semi-weekly check-ins while I'm away, because they're already getting in the habit of of speaking with each other on what's going on and what issues need to be addressed and all of that. So I, I think that, you know, No, it hasn't, but the the dynamic around work from home and less travel has created an environment where our team is doing a little bit more planning and interacting from kind of bottom all the way up.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think it's been kind of interesting to see the shift that's happened with some of senior leadership not being on the road quite as much and being able to get a little bit more down into the weeds of some of the day-to-day firm operations, like you were saying, having the time to engage in some of these conversations that may not have been something they would have been able to allocate you know, their, their time to in the past. I know one of our managing directors made the point to me very early on during the COVID pandemic of hey, just kind of a word for the wise in situations like this, over-communicate with your team, be sure that they feel supported, Mm -hmm. be sure that they feel like, you know, they have that same open, open lines of communication as they did when they could just walk by your desk. So I really try to take that to heart and be good about picking up the phone and being sure that there's still that like personal management touch of, hey, we're still a team here working together. But I do agree that you know I'm seeing that exposure with my team, but I'm also seeing them be able to have more of that same exposure with upper management as well, which kind of going back to your point of allowing your team to lean in and shine, it's a really great opportunity for them to have that face time and those conversations with management. Absolutely. So I'll kind of shift gears just a little bit here. And this is just something... I think a lot of people perceive in our industry, it's one of those industries where people expect that we're going in at 6 a.m. and leaving at 9 p.m. And I think the FaceTime aspect of what we do has always been, you know, I hate to say bragging rights, but how much time you're sitting at your desk, unfortunately, I feel like it has always weighed into people perceiving how well you're doing your job. So I think, you know, certainly that's, that's shifting a little bit as people are working from home and you're not able to see like, who was the first one in, who was the last one out. But I know for me, I've definitely struggled a little bit with the fact that I'm going from, like you are saying, five months of not having that inner office FaceTime right into maternity leave. So there's less interaction with colleagues, a little less interaction, obviously, with other people in the industry do you think that this new normal is something that's going to make the lack of FaceTime more acceptable? Or is that something you personally still struggle with just because it is kind of a prevalent factor in our industry?
2: I think that honestly, it's really going to depend on company by company. I think that just like pre-COVID-19, there were banks or private equity firms where FaceTime was crucially important and others where it was starting to fade. My guess is that, you know, when all of this begins to abate a little bit, that the ones that were beginning to veer away from FaceTime are gonna go farther in that direction. And then I think we're probably going to see a little bit of a mixed reaction from those that clung to it. And so some are going to have been really pleasantly surprised by how effective folks have been from home. Others are going to say, well, we all haven't been together in a long time and we really need to make sure that people are here, that they're talking to each other and that they're grinding. And so, you know, I, I think the, the, harsh reality is going to be that for some workplaces, I think it's absolutely going to make it the new normal to conduct business remotely, or at least more remotely, and be a little bit more flexible on the hours you have to be on your de- at your desk. But I think that there are going to be other companies that cling to it even tighter after this because of kind of the uncertainty and the instability that this all kind of bred in corporate America's psyche. Yep, absolutely.
1: I agree. I think we're definitely going to see some people who are pushing pushing it one way, and some people who are, you know, more open to trusting people to work from home. And I think, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, that's probably going to change based on seniority within firms. I know I've heard a lot of people say we really wanted to get our analysts back in the office, or we really wanted to get our associates back in the office just because I think historically that's been the pool of folks who have been in the office. Because Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about it day to day, people who are working at the vice president, director, managing director level, they've always had to work remotely because they've traveled so much. So I think there is going to continue to be a little bit of different sets of expectations, just depending on seniority within firms. But it'll be interesting to see how receptive people are to having some more flexibility once offices do start to fully open up. But I think that kind of parlays into the next question is on the other side of this, you know, 15 weeks from now, when you're getting back into the swing of things, how do you see yourself being able to kind of juggle the new normal of the work-life balance between having to obviously throw a whole new priority into your your weekly schedule? <laughs> Yeah, you know, I've
2: asked myself that question a number of times. I'm constant. I still don't have the answer. (laughs) I think one of the better pieces of advice that I've I've been given is that it's going to be almost impossible for me to predict correctly what it's going to look like in 15 weeks. So even how I might envision it's going to play out, it's probably not going to go that way. So uh, my type A personality is learning to accept relinquishing that control. (laughs) But, you know, that being said... I'm hopeful that, you know, what the, that the dynamic that we'll be facing after all of this is that in the post-COVID era, whenever that begins to start, that we're going to continue to see an escalation of more flexible scheduling and telework in investment banking and, and private equity. And so, you know, do I think that that means that there are you know, days on end where I'm working from home and not coming into the office? No, not necessarily. But, you know, is there going to be less of a stigma around me needing to go pick up my child from daycare or need to take care of, you know, pediatrician appointments and and the like? I'm hopeful that that will continue to improve. I think it has been improving. And I think at certain workplaces, what you're seeing is that for the most part, most people are really accepting of the flexibility that needs to exist there. But you still have some of the old guard that's a little bit resistant to that, right? And so I am hopeful that because of, the fact that most employers across America have really been surprised by how effective people have been from home, right? Like, I mean, that's why you've got Google saying people don't need to plan on being back in before 2021. You've got corporations headquartered in New York who are saying we're not bringing people back before the end of this year, you know, unless they need to be back in the office now that New York's reopened because that's where they work the best. I think you're just seeing a huge amount of optionality being given from employers to employees. And so I'm hopeful that that will kind of seep into our world as well and just continue to make it easier to be a working mom. I think the way to be a working mom looks different for everyone. For some people, that is having a job that means they're working from home. For other people, that means that they're in the office, but they don't necessarily need to be chained there for 10 hours a day. Right? They can, you know, if they need to leave in the afternoon and they're going to make up those hours and they're still going to get that time in, then hopefully what we're going into is an environment where that's going to be much more acceptable. So I'm trying to play it a little fast and loose and not get too wedded to what juggling work life balance looks like. Because again, I really don't think that even if I had a crystal ball on this, that I'd get it right. But, you know, I, I also think that the other Opportunity that's been opened up by coronavirus is having a, a more flexible reentry into the workplace after all of this. And so, you know, if I actually arrive on my due date, then I'd be going back to work the week of Thanksgiving. And it's, I keep joking, how productive is that <laughs> to go in for the two or three days before everybody takes off for a holiday? And so, you know, it's, does that actually look the exact same or is there more flexibility there? And you know, do I hit the ground running on December 1st and take care of all the 2021 planning in that last month of the year? So, you know, so I think, I think we'll see, but I'm, I'm definitely excited to, to watch how it evolves a little bit as a result of both, you know, my life <laughs> changing meaningfully as well as the world just having faced something that is forcing us to look at how we are, how we're asking our employees to be productive and get their jobs done.
1: Yeah, I think it'll definitely be interesting to see kind of how things are playing out Well, 15 weeks from now. Like you said, none of us have a crystal ball um, and we're not really sure what that looks like. So I think having that certain element of flexibility and then having a plan from which to deviate is kind of the best way to attack it. So as we wrap up here, we always finish the end of these DLSN podcast episodes with the same question. So I'll pose that question to you. If you could go back and give your... Say, twenty-two-year-old self, or your right out of college self, a piece of advice. What would it be? It would probably have to be patience.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I think that patience is, is something that some younger individuals are gifted with. It is one that I have had to learn, and I'm still having to learn. And the reality is, while we hear all the time that life is short, your career is long. And making rash decisions, having abrupt reactions to to kind of your universe and, and your world when you've only been working for six months or a year or even three years, five years, it hasn't been a very long time relative to how much time, you know, you're you're hopefully gonna be at an employer or, you know, working in general. And so patience in not making jumps from one corporation to another too early because, you know, it's reactionary to something that's happened at your first job or your second job or patients in interactions. If you get feedback from an employer in a review or something like that, that you don't like and aren't excited about. And, you know, just in general that you've got time to make these decisions, you should be taking time to evaluate what moves you do make from one company to another Really, I think I think that the biggest the biggest piece of advice I needed when I was twenty two was patience. Fortunately I had it. I ended up in my first employer for five years without jumping around. I had a bunch of people in my life who kind of kept me steady eddy and not, not super reactionary. That's what I needed to hear most as as a young working individual.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that a lot of us, especially as type A, very driven women, look back and say, oh man, I wish I just would have taken a deep breath back then and known that it's going to take a little bit of time to get here, but time will pass. And if you keep working hard, position yourself to kind of move into those next positions that it will come. You don't have to press everything all the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I also think that when you come right out of college, you're used to milestones and deadlines in a way that disappear when college is over. And you know you don't need to be exactly where you want to be at the end of your first year in a job or even your second year in a job. And the reality is, is it can get really difficult if you approach things like, oh, I need to make a jump. I need to make a jump. I need to make a jump. You can kind of exhaust yourself. And if you, you know, I was on the women's rowing team actually at the University of Virginia. And our coach always, always, his number one thing was humble and hungry. And I think bringing that attitude and coupling it with patience into young working life can really help you to manage the lack of structure that you've had or that you have in your young working life relative to what you're coming from out of college so that you can really set yourself up for success. You know, not necessarily in those very first years, but absolutely as building blocks towards, you know, what is hopefully a long and productive career.
1: Yep, I think that's a great point. Well, Molly, thank you so much for joining me and having this conversation today. For anyone that's listening and said, oh, I, I kind of have a follow up question on that, or I'd be interested to know how they navigated XYZ, please feel free to reach out to me. I'll put both of our email addresses in the show notes for this, but I know for myself, and I'll I'll probably include Molly in this because I'm sure besides being out of maternity leave, she would be open to being a resource. But we understand in an industry where you don't always see a lot of people in the same situation as you just because of the change or I guess the discrepancy between the number of men and women in our industry. Sometimes it's hard to know who to reach out to, to kind of ask how to navigate certain situations. So I know I'm always more than happy to be a resource, especially since this is something that I'm living real time. So feel free to reach out with any questions, concerns, or if anybody just has general comments about this topic. I think that's the great thing about the you know, Women in Private Equity Initiative and the Deal podcast is we really want this to be a community where women can learn together, grow together, and be resources. So with that, again, Molly, Absolutely. thank you so much.
0: Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of DLSN. If you have a recommendation for an inspiring interviewee, a question you'd like us to ask, or a topic you would like to hear covered, or if you'd like to tell us about women-focused initiatives in the field, please go to our website at www.dlsnpodcast.com. We look forward to hearing from you.